Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, a resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Well, we are going to continue with the uh, preface to the Vigyana Bhairava, which has proved to be uh, its own um, text within itself. Uh, each verse has stood alone almost as a, like a sutra and has provided us with just, uh, just weeks and weeks of like fodder uh, for practice and discussion. Um, so I've just been uh, overjoyed and, and I was deeply surprised by the depth of, of this preface. This conversation between Shiva and Parvati sort of setting us up for the Vigyana by Rabbit itself. Hey, Roseanne, welcome. Um, and so where we left off uh, was verse 15 in, in which uh, Shiva was describing the importance of realizing that uh, the state, or, or rather that the sort of the goal of our practice is not a thought or a technique or a description or a philosophy, but it's a, it's a state of being and how important that is for us. And as we continue tonight, you've all already read this question uh, here. We sort of venture into uh, verses 16 and 17, which, which sort of, uh, I think, in my, in my reflections and the way I worked with it, um, sort of helped answer this um, this question that if you're new to meditation or, or beginning meditation, you're like, hey, that's a valid question. But if you've been meditating for a while, it's not even really a question anymore, you know, but nonetheless, definitely worth consideration. Um, so so let's let's begin with it, you know. So the question, when we bring our attention inside, do we miss what's happening outside of us? Okay. When we draw our awareness within, do we become reclusive or do we become inclusive? Now, again, from uh, the perspective of someone who's been meditating for a while, you almost, you, you've been meditating because you believe the answer to be, you know, inclusive. Um, but in reality, when we're watching a movie and we're trying to keep our attention inside, why is it so challenging? Well, I mean, you could get into the idea that it's challenging because our patterns are to go outside a lot, but it's also challenging because there's a part of us that sort of needs to answer this question every day when we sit. So take a moment right now and uh, find, your, find your seat if you haven't already. It should feel like a seat that uh, promotes your breath a seat that promotes buoyancy of the spine and the heart. And slowly draw your breath in through the nose and, and try to feel the breath making its way down, down the throat towards the center of the chest. And it can be fun to just bring one fingertip to the center of the chest, just to give yourself a tactile cue. And just try to allow that inhale to draw your focus to this single point near the heart. Essentially, right now, you are drawing your awareness inside. Slowly continue with this as you allow the hands to float down and thumb and forefinger together on the knees. And continue to breathe into that single point in the chest. And as we've been doing with Baba G over the last year, pretty steadily, each inhale draws your attention into that point. And each exhale, allow that single point to gently expand. One breath at a time. Inhale draws your attention towards the heart. And the exhale simply allows that space to expand. 
Now the next step would be to allow your eyes to gently open while maintaining the practice. It's a little harder, there's no doubt. But see if you can feel that point, the center of the chest. And we're going to keep trying to do this while I read you a story, a Zen story about loving kindness. And as you listen to the story, reflect with my attention inside repeatedly. Can I still hear the story? How's it going? The story is called No Loving Kindness. There was an old woman in China who had supported a monk for over 20 years. She had built a little hut for him and fed him while he was meditating. Finally, she wondered just what progress he had made in all this time. I'm trying to do the practice too. To find out, she obtained the help of a girl rich in desire. Go and embrace him, the old woman told her, and then ask him suddenly, what now? The girl called upon the monk and without much ado, caressed him, asking him what he was going to do about it. The monk said, an old tree grows on a cold rock in winter replied the monk somewhat poet poetically, nowhere is there any warmth. The girl returned and related what he had said. To think I fed that fellow for 20 years, exclaimed the old woman in anger. He showed no consideration for your need, no disposition to explain your condition. He need not have responded to passion, but at least he should have evidenced some compassion. She at once went to the hut of the monk and burned it down. So in this story, we see that meditation should not make you reclusive or exclusive, but it should make you deeply inclusive. It should not make you dispassionate, but compassionate. And if it's not helping you be more open and warmer, then watch out uh, because the universe might have to wake you up like the old woman in China did. So, you know, for that reason, I feel like the ashram has always, Babaji has always nudged us to have a disposition of loving kindness for everyone who comes here, for anyone you're teaching in every situation. Patanjali also suggests that the number one way, he says, to get out of a stressful mental position or attention-filled heart position is to simply practice uh, loving kindness and to be friendly and compassionate to your fellow human being. So before we go any further, check in with yourself. How is it going with having your attention inside while still listening and communicating? You know, did you feel like you missed the story or did you feel like you heard it from a different place? In fact, I actually want to take a minute and a half uh, to just write your personal reflections on that experience before we go on too much further. Just take a moment. We had a nice little moment. You had a story. So you sort of had something you knew was happening. What was your experience? Just take a minute and a half to free write your thoughts. No editing, just writing.
Welcome, Yogita. We're just finishing a little quick writing sesh, and then we're going to continue in just a moment. And just wrapping up your thoughts. Is there anyone who'd like to unmute and just share just a quick thought or two? We have time later for discussion, but I am intrigued if anyone felt like Right off the bat, they'd like to share a little bit about their experience there. Yeah, Anandama, go ahead. Well, at first, I, I didn't really get the story until you explained it. <laughs> so that's the first thing. And then once you explained it, what, and during the free write, what came to me is that that's why it's important to have a teacher, right? Not mm. just sit in a hut, but you have a teacher and they can say, yeah, you're making, you're doing good or which way to go. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I that was one of the big takeaways from that story too, for me was like lucky to, instead of wait 20 years and then have your hut burned down, maybe like, how about 20 weeks and then a little redirect, you know? Yeah. Bob, you wanted to chime in? Oh, unmute. There we go. Okay. Uh, yeah. I just thought uh, that, kind of the same thing that uh, if you're going to sit in a hut and uh, and just be uh, out of the way how are you turning the wheel of dharma as they say in buddhism it's like you gotta even if you're even if you're in your in your hut and uh, getting very deep and deep and deep inside um Really, you have some responsibility to share what you have. Uh, yeah. So that's what I thought. That's a very valid point. And so sort of to extracting sort of what you're saying um, also is that uh, there's time for that and that there's also time to interact that it's important, you know, for us to have our practice, you know, tested in a way. And uh, yeah, and that's a very valid, very valid point. Um, but also that this, uh, this individual in this circumstance, you know, um, it wasn't that they couldn't have achieved it in that setting, but something wasn't right for them, maybe karmically for that setting, maybe that setting wasn't what they needed right then. Because again, Milarepa sat in a cave for so long, he got calluses on his butt. So it could work at certain points in our sadhana, but maybe for this individual, they needed to be out working in a slightly different way to keep their growth, you know, uh, happening. So, so going inside, we sort of all, you know, sort of like uh, preaching to the co chorus here. We're all like, yeah, going inside makes you more compassionate. Oh, and by the way, one more time, find that single point in the heart. We define the Shambhavi Mudra as the ability to keep your attention inside while you communicate and navigate your life outside. Abaya and I were talking about that just the other day, and she said, that's not enough. It's not just that we survive our lives better by having our attention inside, but that we actually thrive and flourish in those lives, as well as surviving when we have our attention inside. Um, I apologize. I don't have this quote on the screen. Um, just for anybody who's like more of a visual learner, though, I'm just going to drop it in the chat box. It's sort of a little bit of a miss. I just missed the slide there. Uh, where Babaji uh, says, a truly spiritual person is loving and compassionate and can function very well in just about any situation. People who have those qualities don't need anything special to find happiness. 
They have found it in themselves, and they share it freely and gladly with anyone who comes around. So going inside should not only make us more functional, but also more compassionate and more joyful. And as we know, uh, if it's not, then we should be checking in with our teacher. That's the beauty of it. Tonight's sutra or segments of the of the Vigyana Bhairava that we're going to look at, I feel uh, sort of reiterate this theme, uh, comment on it, and, and maybe you'll feel the same. But nonetheless, we're going to look directly at the text. Uh, we'll read it aloud together, have some time for interpretation and discussion. All right. So um, let's look at our first verse here. This is sort of where we left off last week or last class. Uh, Tejavan, would you mind unmuting and reading this one for us? Oh, let me make sure this is, uh, sorry. Okay. Okay. This is actually verse 16. I apologize. I think I got a little hurried on the slides. Verse 16. Can you hear me? Yeah. That should in verity be known as Bhairava's essential nature immaculate vimalam, and inclusive of the entire universe, visparuparanam. Thanks, Sejavan. So Shiva is telling Parvati, we should really keep in mind that the, the essential nature of our true nature has two qualities. It's immaculate and it's inclusive of the entire universe, immaculate and inclusive. Um, Anju, could you read, this is Jaideva Singh's um, commentary on that word immaculate. Sure, so Shemaraja says in his commentary that Bhairava's essential nature has been characterized as Vimala, immaculate, because though it manifests the universe on its own screen, it is not veiled by it. Thanks. So even though uh, they, Shiva or, you know, Bhairava goes, uh, creates this entire universe of differentiation, uh, a universe that appears to be infinitely uh, different parts, um, that the essential nature of Bhairava of unity is not lost in that difference. Uh, essentially, Shiva is fully aware of their own true nature in all of its different forms. It is not, there's no veil there. And then uh, the other word, inclusive, I'm going to go back, uh, is pretty obvious that this essential nature is both uh, sort of without difference and inclusive. Because as you'll remember where we left off was that uh, the essential nature of Shiva was described as the bliss of non-difference meaning there's no difference, no feeling of difference. Right. Okay. And then let's, there's a, just a couple more moments to this. Okay. Trey, would you mind reading this one for us? I know it's short, but go for it. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Such being the state of reality, who can be the object of worship? Who is to be satisfied with worship? Thanks. That one was a little confusing for me at first, um, but I will say that uh, the commentary helped me out with this. Um, Chaitanya, could you finish us with this little commentary moment? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. When the essential nature of Bhairava is recognized as her own inmost self, the distinction between the worshipper and the worship disappears, and there draws a sense of non-dualism. Right. Thanks, Chaitanya. It's great to hear your voice, by the way. Yeah, I get to see you on Zoom, but we don't get to hear from you, so. It's nice to be heard. Nice. Okay, so this sort of, I'm so grateful for this little bit of commentary here from Jayadeva Singh, because what it sort of pointed us towards is that um, 
we can only realize uh, this concept of going in and actually experiencing the outside world if we do it. Uh, that it's not a it's not something we can cognize. Uh, when the essential nature, when when this reality is recognized as our inmost self, when we recognize this within our own practice, at that moment, the distinction between uh, Shiva or Bhairava being an uh, being an object of worship, right, or everything is Shiva, uh, that concept finally becomes clear, and he says. There's dawning, I love that, dawning, a sense of non-dualism, dawning. Non-dualism is a term that gets thrown around a lot in Kashmir Shaivism. Um, and I think on paper, I'd be like, oh, I can probably explain it. Uh, the idea being like, oh, dualism is the idea that ultimately when you break reality all the way down to its most essential parts, there's still going to be two things. There's going to be an inside and an outside. Um, or you, another way of saying it, there's going to be like, there's going to be God and there's going to be everything else. That There's always this sort of fundamental distinction at this really atomic level, no matter how far down you go. That's a dualistic perspective, to the best of my knowledge. And non-dualism, would, which Kashmir Shaivism and our tradition uh, is a part of, or is a description that is a description of our tradition would would say yes there are there is difference in the universe there is there are a lot of different parts but nothing can be ultimately separate from god is a one way of putting it or shiva nothing can be truly separate from that because if it exists then it exists within that sphere of of reality there's nothing that exists outside of reality if it did whoop that's now reality it's all in this one sphere yet there is the perception of difference within it so i might explain it like that on paper okay uh just like you might say going inside can ha help you have more compassion for the outside or can help you actually see your world more clearly you can say it you might be able to prove it on some level, but when Jaideva Singh said uh, that through practice, there dawns a sense of non-dualism, that sort of spoke to me in the, in the way of saying, this is an experience that has to grow within us, like almost like the sun just coming up over the mountain. It's just this slow dawning that has to be, you know, day after day. And that you, it's more of a, a sense of it. It's not like a cognition, like, oh, that's what that is. I get it now. But it's a it's a sense of it. It's a, it's a feeling of it. It's a feeling of, can I bring my awareness inside right now while I'm listening? Is this, what is the experience like that's happening in this moment? It's sort of this feeling that you're working with, that you're trying in different settings. And it's like a, something you... You can directly experience, but possibly not explain, which is what we've been told multiple times in this text. So our true nature is inclusive, and it is filled with non-difference. Um, and that in many different traditions, this concept of going within to actually finally see what's going on outside of us is... Uh, it's pretty clear. And so um, I'm wondering from your perspective, let's take two minutes for one more free write, and then we'll have a chance for discussion. You might say yes to that question, you know, but what, what is your real answer to that original question? You know, what, what is your real answer? The, the answer that you would abide by when you're watching a movie, you know, where do you really land with this going inside? Can you still see and feel your reality, feel with it for a moment, and then try to hold that awareness inside while you write, you know, it's a perfect reflection of this concept. So we'll take two minutes to free write on this ability.
Just a few more moments. Wrapping up your thoughts. And then taking a moment to reread what you wrote, underlining a keyword or phrase that might encapsulate it. We'll drop that in the chat box and then we'll discuss. It takes time to enjoy the dawn. The more dawns you enjoy, the more enjoyable they become. Dawns. Moments, music, whispers, water. Sometimes I don't want to disturb my awareness, even though that is how it can grow. Good point. Sharper focus. Who would have thought? Right? Try more often, even if can't tell it. You can see he's editing that one. Noticing the impulse to be reclusive. That was from Eldorado Ashram. Singular person there. Jatila. <laughs> <laughs> sort of reclusive vibes <laughs> in a room by himself. Okay, I'm kidding. I know. I'm glad he's here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Try more often, even if it, I'll try. Yeah, I don't know. Good try, change one. Even if it can't tell it. Okay, Yogita, staying inside and focusing on the present at the same time, question mark. Maybe that was intentional, question mark. Slow, gentle stream, slowly cutting away at a bank. Ooh. All right, Anju, I'd love to hear more. You got me. I guess that's just kind of like the feeling of it because I can't always know it's happening. It doesn't always feel like it's happening. So I kind of have to just like trust that it's doing its thing. And every now and again, I do get mm. the like awareness that I'm bigger than me and I'm the whole stream and not the bank that's getting cut away at. Mm. So I have to sort of just have a lot of faith that I'm getting there. And I can tell sometimes when I've achieved it because I act differently or like the world operates differently for me, but I can't make it happen. I can't be like, oh, I really liked when that happened for me yesterday. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have to just sort of like allow it to happen when I'm ready and really in that space. So it's, I don't know. It's, yeah. yeah, no, I think you really point to uh, a really important aspect of this concept, which is that it happens so gradually that our, it's almost like a flower growing or, you know, a plant growing. You really can't track it. You can't point to it and be like, oh, I'm doing it and it's working. Uh, but that the changes, if you're able to see it at intervals, it's like obvious that it's that something's happening. Uh, but that that's a really, uh, yeah, great, great point. Great. At One of the reasons that makes it hard to do is because it, it might lack that instant, I wouldn't say gratification, but instant, just sort of even notification. You know, we're just sort of used to that style of learning, you know, the, the ding, once you like buy something or the ding, you know, just to note when you send an email, just 
all those things we get sort of conditioned, you know, and then we're trying to do something and there's no, and you're like, did it work? So great point. Yes, Gita. Well, uh, my example is a little uh, plebeian uh, or crude, but we've all seen the movie Mean Girls. Come on. It's so we've funny you should mention it. that. Yeah. It's junior high being mean to each other. Come on, you've <laughs> all seen it, right? <laughs> you know, somebody in this you room, it's their favorite movie. <laughs> and you know how they were mean to, literally mean to each other? Yes, well, I do remember that. So that's when everything is fractured and fragmented and it's all outside. But as the it dawns and there's that sense of non-dualism, then that meanness disappears and we become much more accepting, tolerant, gracious with each other. And it's something that like you and uh, Hanjus were just saying, it's something that evolves over time, but... Um, I think the Mean Girls is a perfect example of dualism. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. This the idea of, a, of of difference, just feeling a separation between you and anyone and everything, and, and how that you, it. Yeah, good. And exacerbated. I'm better than you. Mm. I mean, that was the other part of the the Mean Girl movie. I'm better than you which um, kind of talks goes back to the the monk that you were start the story you started with he didn't get it yeah it's when you it's like feeling difference can sometimes at first feel like oh it's just i'm just oh it's the difference between me and that um, object over there difference not a big deal but it sort of quietly grows until it becomes like what you just said, like a, a, a hierarchy. And, uh, you know, there's this sense of like, it doesn't just stay as difference. It becomes something pretty specific, you know, sort of the negative kind of emotions and, and ways that we might relate to each other and how the unity does take a practice to experience. Like it actually takes work, even though it's our true nature. You know, that is another discussion, but we can at least acknowledge for tonight the the experience of difference is, is pretty specific. Excellent. Yes, Anandama. Well, Gita, I, I didn't see the movie, but I remember junior high, just saying. But um, it reminded me of when I met Karma at the art, at one of the art retreats. And he, he and I were talking and he said to me that the way you can tell how evolved spiritually a person is, is how they treat the most annoying person, the most annoying, poor, dirty person. Okay. And I'll never forget that. I don't remember a whole lot of other conversation I had with him, but that was a statement that, that I think applies here, you know, as we grow we don't see what the person's carrying or what they look like, but rather that Shiva consciousness. Mm -hmm. But right now I need to remind myself that that person might have the Shiva consciousness because I'm not always, <laughs> I'm not completely evolved yet. <laughs> I'm just sitting with your comment for a moment. It's it's interesting where where my sort of rea internal reaction went was to the uh do you all have you heard that satsang from Swami Rajananda where he says like we all want to re or maybe it's from his book we all might be the book um uh, we all want to reach out and um sort of help everyone around us and be this like angel bestowing boons and helping but he goes but like you're the one who needs help. <laughs> Like you're, you're actually, you know, in a pretty, in a challenged, differentiated state most of the time. And that when we bring our attention in and we actually start to work on ourselves, then it's like Babaji's comments about how, when you find that joy inside, it's very natural 
to to share it with absolutely anyone he said in that earlier quote uh who's in the room with us you know and Yogita, I was in, I was interested. How do I do this? And I assume you're talking about the practice and not the chat rooms or Zoom. Go for it on unmuting. Okay. I what I was trying to say is how do I stay inside and focus on the present at the same time? Yep. That's what I was having trying to say. Yeah. And um I was riding my tricycle home tonight and I was focusing so intently on the ice and it was getting dark and everything. I was chanting, but I, I wasn't inside. I was focused on getting where I was going. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's a good point. It's very valid. You know, I guess there's a, it, you'd be better answering this than I would. How would you describe, you know, uh, your awareness? Uh, you say, oh, it wasn't inside, but was it like a grasshopper mind jumping from thought to thought? See, right? No. So there's. Yeah. No, it was focusing intently uh, mm. to stay, uh, stay away from the ice. It's the first time I got on my track in about two weeks because of the ice. Yeah. And it was okay, but I had to really focus to dodge the ice you know so yeah and i think that that is sort of what this quote is pointing us towards um where it talks about how it takes time and practice to realize this sense of 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 non-difference where at first we use these techniques to like focus the mind and get ourselves into the physical present but then after you repeat a mantra, for example, like say you're not in your tricycle, but let's say you're let's say you're repeating a mantra with just as much focus as you were tonight. You know, and it would that would be like on this horizontal physical level where you really are like, I'm not gonna lose this mantra. Sort of like Dialan taught a month and a half ago in his teaching moments presentation about like don't lose the present, like whatever you do, like we don't have to do any practice you want, but just don't lose the present. And um and you're like, okay, that is this really powerful practice. And it sort of brings you to the opportunity to do that and keep doing that, but then to soften while maintaining that degree of focus. Um, maybe not in the setting where you're literally in physical peril with the ice and, and the bicycle, et cetera, but if you got off that bicycle, kept that level of focus and like just sat down afterwards where you could be, you know, and you had that focus and you just brought that same presence to your heart and your breath, it'd probably be like doors open. You know, it's almost like the pump is primed. It's ready. So in a way, it's like you were going in that direction and there was sort of a threshold that like had to, you know, be respected but it was like definitely in that direction and definitely wasn't going the other way. Right. So in a way it's just as important inside, outside. I don't know when we arrive, it's really just a trajectory or a direction. Right. I mean, it's not really like you get there and you're there. It's over. So thanks. I think that's a great example. And I, that, that's what I feel like we should, Oh, there you go. Tejvon. Okay. Um, we are at the sort of the end of the discussion portion. I apologize. I wish it was a little bit longer and I'll try to be more concise next class. Um, oh, cool. You have the Rudy quote. Cool. All right, Tage, you got to unmute and read it. You posted it. Yeah. Find that button. <laughs> try again. Try again. Try again. Okay. Mute chat room. When you press enter, it always sends, and that always gets me. <laughs> always, anyway, okay. Many people wish to see themselves as pink angels with blue wings walking among the unfortunate. A little slower. Love. A little slower. Many Remember, people, this is Rudy talking. <laughs> many people, people wish to see themselves as pink angels with blue wings walking among the unfortunate. 
spreading light and love. It is a revelation to find that you are one of the unfortunates. Great effort is needed to produce this insight, making it possible to change your pattern and begin to feel the gratitude within. It is only when you are grateful for saying what you are that you can change. This revelation during the surrender is what shocks you into acceptance of your true situation. Thanks, Dave. So as we said in the beginning, and we'll transition to our practice with the uh, momentum of that quote, um, that bringing our attention inside isn't just a matter of being more functional outside, although that is achieved, uh, but that it is really the most essential step to beginning to change, to grow, to, as Rudy was sort of saying, see what your current situation really is about and to actually start to work with it um, and to uh, eventually thrive. It's the only path to, to thriving. So feel free to shift in your seat. Settle back in. So as we did at the beginning of class, you can bring one fingertip to the center of the chest and just sort of feel that tactile space. And slow your breath down a little bit, no strain or anything, just a little bit slower than normal so that it pulls your awareness with it. And you can imagine that you are bicycling on icy sidewalks and that this practice is how you will be safe. That if you can keep your attention on your breath and your heart without stress or strain, you will cruise easily towards your destination. Slowly let the finger remove, but keep doing that practice. We remove a little bit of the external now. You have a little bit less externally to work with, which should force you to actually feel the inner landscape more fully. Allow yourself to practice the slight smile, because remember, this should always make us warmer and more inclusive. Otherwise, we might be going the wrong direction. And so we're not only focusing intently, but we're also relaxing and opening at the same time.
take a moment to feel the room around you, to feel the space that you're in, to feel your body in that space. Notice your relationship to this space as you bring your attention towards the heart. Does that space disappear or does it somehow become more clear? Allow your focus to keep returning to the center of the chest with each inhale. And as you exhale, that center point expands. Take your time with the exhale. You might allow it to be just a little slower. And try to feel that expansion of the heart center in a really natural way. almost like the dawn rising, the way light would naturally fill a space. This practice is not necessarily effortless, meaning to keep your focus and even to keep relaxing, you have to surrender deeply. Let yourself pull your awareness towards the heart as you inhale. And as you exhale, it's the letting go that allows the space in the heart to expand.
you can revisit the slight smile because this practice should make us more inclusive, more warm, more compassionate. It is a impossible cognition but it's a very possible practice. Let yourself feel this unity, this expansiveness as you feel more inwardly. For the last minute, allow the eyes to open halfway. And remember that this practice is meant for the cushion and it's meant for off the cushion. Having your attention inside does not exclude anything externally. It includes it. to a degree that we can't even really comprehend. And so feel the space that you're in, feel the people that either surround you or are on the screen in front of you. And feel a sense of non-difference, a sense of inclusivity. It's a practice. It's why it's so rare. But you can feel how nourishing it is and how valuable. All right. Thanks, everyone. Namaste. If you don't mind, I just want to remind you um, of a couple of a couple of announcements here. Um, in the beginning of February, we actually have a um, in-person training. It's one time a year out here for resilience, upper level yoga. Everybody's invited. We've got med level one starting in February as well. If if you'd like to study uh, meditation with us online, we'd love to have you. And a very transformative 200-hour teacher training. Can't really say enough about that. You think you know, but there's more. <laughs> And, uh, and another upper level training starting in February, the Dance of Shakti training about creative sequencing. So thanks for hearing me out on those. If any of those caught your interest, let us know. Have a great weekend and see you at Monday night.